All right, good evening. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not used to being mic'd up here, so can everybody hear me okay? Wes said the higher the better, so that's, uh, I'm good. All right, he gave me the thumbs up. Good evening. How's everybody tonight? Doing well? Uh, Jenna Lee's teaching the one-year-olds tonight, and she made me promise, short and sweet, so yeah, I, I'm going to try to do my best. Uh, I helped her last week teach the one-year-olds, and it's fun to teach the one-year-olds. It's also fun to give them back to mom and dad when class is over. So that's, uh, that's always good. We're covering this uh, for this series, Great Chapters of the Bible. And I'm going to be in Colossians 1 tonight. And uh, probably just a, a, quite a coincidence. Uh, if you're doing your reading, we actually, I think the, the second reading for this week in the, in the one-word book actually have to, happened to be in Colossians 1. Just uh, quite a coincidence there. wasn't wasn't planning on that, although it would have been kind of neat if I would have. But Colossians 1, uh, we're going to spend some time here tonight. Uh, this is a neat letter, and it's, it's, uh, it's something that my introduction to it was, was a little bit different. Uh, I really hadn't studied it a whole lot uh, up until about five or six years ago when uh, Dennis Williams actually asked me to fill in for him in the auditorium class uh, on Colossians. And that was... If you've ever taught an auditorium class, you want to make sure you spend a, lot, a little bit extra time and study because it's a, it can be a tough class to, to teach just because of the setting itself. Uh, we used a book from Franklin Camp, which made it even more difficult. And then uh, there's a lot of great Bible minds in that class, but I remember setting front and center were uh, Leroy Owens and Billy Joe Watson. So I knew I really needed to know my stuff. So that was, uh, I really needed to know it front ways and back ways. But so I spent extra time studying, and what I found was this beautiful letter, and especially chapter one is, is such, a great, such a great chapter, and hopefully we can, I can convey some of that to you tonight. I think the unique thing about the, just the letter itself is it's different than the other Pauline epistles because this wasn't a church that Paul started. It more than likely wasn't even a place that he visited. And so he is in prison writing this letter to this church, uh, really based on a report that he received from a colleague. Uh, his name was Epaphras, and we'll, we'll read that here in just a few minutes. And, and this is obviously in response to, to a report that he received, and uh, there's a lot of good, and there were some things that he wanted to address. And so that's what the entire letter is about. Now, I, I, I feel like if, if we looked at this letter and kind of modernize some of the language and maybe change the title to the churches in Birmingham or to the churches in Hoover, I think we could look at this and say, wow, this is really applicable today. It's, it's applicable to the church. It's applicable to some of the challenges we may face. There's a lot of, there's a lot of great things in this letter. And, and chapter one is, is a great focus because it brings the focus back to Christ. And that's where Sometimes we get, we get some things wrong uh, when we drift from that. Uh, there were cultural issues going on in, in Colossae, and it was a lot of Jew and Gentile trying to come together in harmony in the church. And this wasn't unique to this region. It was, it was a struggle that every place had. But Paul addresses this in this letter. There were also Jewish teachers that were wanting to Kind of, mi- kind of mold together the old law in Christ, and we, and we obviously know that that's not correct. We shouldn't do that. Uh, they were trying to put other gods of, of the time kind of on an even playing field with, with Christ. 
Uh, we see in chapter 2, there's talk about worship of, of, of angels, uh, other things going on. So they were, they were trying to put, trying to make Christ on an even playing field with, with other gods and other things. And, and that obviously is not right as well. Uh, the Apostle Paul talks about, and it, it probably technically didn't start right, right here, but there must have been some, the beginnings of Gnosticism at, at this time. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, that is the thought that all flesh is evil and Christ therefore could not have been an actual human being because flesh is bad. And so he must have been a spirit and the Apostle Paul addresses that. Ultimately, like I said, he reminds them to put Christ first. Christ in this preeminent firstborn position. Uh, and, and that's a couple of key words in chapter 1. And again, like I said, if, if we look at the church today, look at ourselves, that's, that needs to be our focus. All this other stuff, all these other things that we may have disagreements about, which are not matters of salvation, I think sometimes they catch our attention and pull us away from what we're really supposed to be and what we're supposed to be doing. And that is we're supposed to be here to worship Christ and be his, be his children. Be, be, the, be the children of, of God. And so that's what this, this chapter is about. So I'm going to read a good bit of this chapter, and then we're going we're to kind of break down a few of the, few of the points here if, if we can. So Colossians 1, starting in verse 1, it says, The apostle, uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ... In, at Colossae, grace to, you, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God our Father, uh, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray to you since we heard of your faith in, in Christ Jesus, of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of, of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learn it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your, on your behalf and has made known to, to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled, filled with knowledge of his will, all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to the glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he, and he is before all things, and in, in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, of the, he is the, beginning the firstborn from the dead, in that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were, who were, 
who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by, by his death in order to present you holy and blameless, blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So we're going to stop there. That's going to be the focus of our study tonight. So if we go to the beginning, we go to really this, after the, the introduction here, go to verse 3, 4, and 5. The Apostle Paul talks about their faith, hope, and love. If, if we go back and read verses 4 and 5, it says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So these are really, it, it's a great thing that the church at Colossae had. And the Apostle Paul wants to point this out to them. These are the, really the three pillars of, of a spiritual life, of, of building a, a, a healthy, balanced spiritual life, this faith, hope, and love. You know, this leads to, to harmony. You know, you think about it, if you have faith in, in Christ, if you have hope of eternal life and hope of, of salvation and love for, for him and love for each other, it, it's kind of hard to go wrong, isn't it? It's, it that's really the, the foundation, the pillars of, of a well-balanced spiritual life and something that brings us together in harmony. Uh, these, these three really go together and we need to seek to develop these things. And, and the fact that the Apostle Paul opens up his his accommodation is his thanksgiving that they have these, these quality traits about them. It is just, it really should stand out to us that this is something that we should have as well. If we go on down another few verses and go down to verse 9, he talks about the, the knowledge of his will, wisdom, and spiritual understanding. So if we read verse 9, it says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. This was Paul's prayer for the church at Colossae, and what a, what a model for us to be praying for, for others, uh, for other churches whether it's locally, whether it's, whether it's outside of, uh, of this country, that they may have knowledge of his will, that they may have the wisdom to understand that and have that spiritual understanding. Uh, it's really, it is a great thing for us to be constantly grasping and striving for that understanding. And, and the application, I think, is if we fill ourselves with the knowledge of the will of God, we'll have that that will help us in the understanding of and help us with, with the wisdom, asking for wisdom to understand his will. And then having done these things, then as it says in verse 10, that we will bear fruit in every good work. And going back before that, it's fully pleasing to him uh, that we bear this good fruit and when we increase in this knowledge. And so what a, what a wonderful First off, thanksgiving that the Apostle Paul shares with them that they have these, these three pillars. And then he prays for them that they would, they would seek to, to 
to understand his will and, and ask for wisdom and spiritual understanding. And again, what a, what a great model for us to, to look at today. Now if we get to kind of the, the meat of the chapter, I would say, and this is verses 15 through 20. And honestly, we could probably spend, I could probably spend weeks just talking about this, this set of verses here. It's, it's beautiful. Uh, in some places, it's called the Messiah poem. It's called the Messiah hymn. But it is just a, it's a way for the Apostle Paul to focus on the greatness that is Christ. And, and really, if we look at this set of verses, and I'll read them again here in a minute, the words that are, that are kind of the key here, I think, are, is the word, it's, it's one time in here, it's, it's preeminent, the word preeminent, and then the second is firstborn. And so we'll expand on that here in just a minute, but I want to go ahead and, and read that set of verses again. Go back to Colossians 1, uh, starting in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So we see these words preeminent and firstborn. And preeminent is only mentioned one other time in, in the Bible. And actually my translation doesn't even use it. It actually says something different. But if we go to if you go over to Third John real quick, Third John verse nine. This is the only other time that this, this is used, and I think this helps us with a little bit of an understanding of the meaning of the word. 3 John 9, it says, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, now, that's my translation here, the ESV, but if you're using the New King James, I think it uses preeminent. So, who likes to put himself first or is preeminent, does not acknowledge our authority. So right there we get a really good definition of the word, don't we? We get this definition of first, first in line, or the beginning. Now if we go to firstborn, firstborn is, is not as we would think it is if you just look at the word itself. We would think firstborn, it means first, right? First, first one born. But that isn't the case. That's actually a, an Old Testament word, and it really means rank. And, and we see that if you go over to Psalm 89. Psalm 89, verse 27. Psalm 89, verse 27 says, And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. So we see that this is a, this is actually a word that means rank. So it doesn't mean what you would think it means when we read it in our, in our translation here, or when we read it in English. It actually means a ranking position. So when, the, when this set of verses talks about firstborn from the dead, it's talking about this ranking. He is the highest, he is the highest of rank. And it really, if, if we go back and think about some Old Testament examples, 
there are many, many times that we see that the actual firstborn child was not the one that received the blessing or that the, 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 the blessing from the father did not go to that person. We see that in I, Isaac is a perfect example. Ishmael was born first, right? But Isaac was, was the, the child, the child of promise. Uh, we see that with Jacob. We see that in a lot of other, other situations in the Old Testament where the oldest child was not the, actually the one that received the, the blessing. And so that's what this is talking about. This is the, the rank of that. Now, these set of verses really, it, there's a lot of echoes back to the Old Testament, I would say. And the, the echoes are, you know, if we think about Genesis 1, the, the, the creation, we see that here. And, and it talks about all things were created uh, by him and, and through him and for him. Uh, we see this in, in Exodus 40, which we're going to talk about more here in just a, a couple minutes. Psalm 4, Psalm 8, Psalm 68, Proverbs 8. All these things really, they echo what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. And actually, let's go, let's read, let's read Psalm 8. Because I think Psalm 8 is, it will, maybe by me reading it here will actually help you kind of see the the Apostle Paul is really referencing what, what's being talked about here. Psalm 8, again, it's a very familiar, very familiar psalm to us. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of baby, babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The other one, let's, let's read here real quick, is Proverbs 8. We'll just read a section of it. And again, this is, you can just see this, the Apostle Paul is, is really, I think, drawing on their knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures when he's talking about the, this in, in Colossians. But if we go to Proverbs 8, start in verse 12. It says, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and all the way of evil, and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. So again, you can just you can see this being echoed here in this in this set of, of verses. And and so now to get into to the text here, this is really I think I would view this in two different stanzas. So if this is a truly a hymn or a poem, I think we would see verses 15 and 17 talking about the focus on the true image of God. And then we would go to verses 18 through 20 
and it talks about bringing forth that new creation. So let's kind of break that down a little bit. So the focus on the true image of God. If we go back to verse 15, we see that, that Christ was, was human and he was truly the firstborn. He shares an identity with God. Verse 15 is great. It says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So the, powerful, the, the powerfulness of that verse there, imagine being somebody who actually saw Jesus and to think that you witnessed God, actually physically saw God. And that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about he is that he is God in, in the flesh, but part of the Godhead. And that's that's beautiful. He shares that identity with God. So, so to think that that our Savior was fully man and was able to be seen with fleshly eyes, but he was truly God is is amazing. And it's it's a wonderful thought. To think that by him all things were created. I mean, everything that we see, everything we don't see, whether it's, you know, things on the throne, people on the throne, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and, most importantly, for him. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. And so this talks about there's nothing outside of the scope of the sovereignty of God. So, Think about that for a second. If, if everything was created through him and for him, everything, there's nothing that's outside of his sovereignty. That's, that's kind of a take a step back and kind of say whoa moment to me. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's, that's who this is talking about. And he's the author and the king of our creation. And I, I think that the fact that it says here again that all things were created through him and for him, like it, it, it truly pleases him that the things that are here, right? I mean, that, that's, that's what this is talking about. And so this focus on this, this true image of God and who he really is and why he created this and how everything is here and nothing is outside of his, his reach is, is such a... Uh, to me, that's such a wonderful statement. And to think that that's what these verses are, are, are getting, the point they're getting across, I think, is, is beautiful and it's wonderful. So now if we go on to, this, to the second part here, that this is where, to me, th this, is, this is probably the most, when I struggle with things and when I think about, gosh, you know, there, there's just struggles in this world and, there's, there's divisions here and there's, there's people against each other. You read these verses and, and then it helps me not, not worry. It helps me not, not get upset about what's going on because it talks about Christ brought forth this new creation. And so everything is going to be put back together the right way because of him. So let's, I'm going to read these verses again because I think it's, it's really important. Starting in verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. 
So first off, he is, Christ is the head of this new body. He's the, he, he's the head, and that represents authority. If we think about it, if, if we don't have our, if, if, if the head is not on the body, there's, there's nothing to control everything. The head controls everything. It represents authority. It represents leadership. And so with Christ being the head of the body, he's, he's the authority figure. He is the, he's the one in control. He's the, he's the leadership of the church. And the church here represents, truly represents the people that assemble in his name. So everything else, every, every other part of the body being controlled by the head, that's, that's the church. That's, that's, that's when we're here assembling together as the body, Christ is here as the head. He's with us now. And that, that's a beautiful thought, I think. Jesus' people represent... Or Jesus' people represent the new humanity. So we talked about the cultural problems, and you had Jew and Gentile against each other. And it wasn't just in Colossae. It was, it was really everywhere. You had this struggle of people getting along inside of the church. But Christ's people here, it's that multicultural, he brings together this multicultural group of people with a singular focus. So let's think about that for a second. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what you've done. If you're a part of this body with Christ as the head with a singular focus, we have this, it, it doesn't matter. We have unity here. That's, that's a beautiful thing. That is a wonderful thing. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about is that we have this, new group of people that it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, who, what, what you may have done in the past, you're now part of this body. And that is, that is so, so important. Now, Jesus' resurrection, as we see here in the, the next few verses, represents a prototype. He was the firstborn from the dead. He was, it signifies our resurrection when, when he returns. So Christ is that ranking member of those resurrected, that will be resurrected from the dead. But this is that prototype. It's an example of what, it would be, what it's going to be like for us. And then verse 19 and 20, I think, are, are just, to me, are, the, are where it really sets it apart. But in verse 19, it talks about, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So in him, God's, Temple presence dwells. And we'll go back to this Exodus 40 here in a minute because I think that represents but a, a little bit more and probably, probably grab the attention of the, the listeners or the readers of this letter more than probably it grabs our attention. But if, if we want to understand this better, let's go over to start at John, uh, John chapter 1. John chapter 1 and verse 14. So again, keeping in mind what we just read, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. John 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And if we go back to John 1, 1, we understand what the word is, right? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So we see in verse 14 here, the word became flesh. God became flesh 
and dwelt among us. Go back to Colossians 1, verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This is God's new temple presence here in Jesus. If we go to Exodus 40, I've talked about it a couple times. We might as well go ahead and read it now. Exodus 40, verse 34, it talks about the tabernacle. It says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So the glory of the Lord was in the tabernacle there with them. And now with the, the, what we see in verse 19, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him, in Christ. This is the new, the new tabernacle. This is God's presence in Jesus. And I think that's, a, again, a beautiful thing. And now verse, verse 20. In verse 20, I, don't th- I think you could read a hundred different commentaries and they're all going to struggle with this verse because there's conflict in this verse. There's, there's peace, there's blood, there's violence, and, and there's just so much going on here, but it tells us so much. Verse 20, it says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So the death and resurrection uh, of Jesus, God reconciles to himself all humanity. All humanity. And there was peace by the blood of of Christ. When has has bloodshed ever brought peace? In the world today, bloodshed does not bring peace. It brings more violence. And we think about all the violence that's in the world today because of wars and bloodshed and whatever else may be going on but Christ's blood brought peace and that tells us a lot because this tells us that Christ is sufficient we don't need anything else Christ was was it so why would we want to add to it or take away from it that's what Paul is saying here that Christ's blood brought peace, and so now all things are brought into harmony. All things are brought into harmony. There's there's nothing that cannot be reconciled because of this event. Nothing. Now, this is that Isaiah 11 experience to me. Chuck talked about it a few weeks ago. Let's go back and read this Isaiah 11, because this is... To me, this is what this talks about. So we see this, this thought of peace by bloodshed. But what, is, what does that peace really mean? What, is it, what does it really do? Well, I think this is what it is. And if, we, if we read Isaiah 11, starting in verse 6, it says, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, for the earth shall be full of knowledge full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's peace. 
That's what this is talking about. That verse 9 here, they shall not hurt or destroy. I mean, think about how beautiful that is, that this, this one ugly, violent, just unbelievably awful event in the death of Christ brings everything into harmony. Everything into harmony. That is that shows you the power of this event. And that's all this is talking about here is the Apostle Paul is saying you've got all this other stuff going on. We're wanting to try to meld the old law and Christ. We're trying to put Christ on the same level of, of these other gods of nature. And, and, and Paul says, no, this, this is the only one you need. You have Christ up here and then you have nothing else is what he's talking about. There, there's no other option. So we're going to get into it here in the next verses, but he is, he is bringing their focus after saying, you have this great foundation, but you're losing your vision because we've got to focus on the firstborn, the preeminent one, and what his death did for us. And again, just I, I'm barely scratching the surface on these verses, and the time doesn't allow us to, to spend much more time on it. But again, if, if, to me, if we struggle with conflict, we struggle with things, whether it's inside of the church or with outside of the, the church, whatever it is, we struggle with that stuff. Go back and read this, because this is this helps you make sure you have that singular focus, which is so so important. So now to to, the, to wrap up this this set, and I, I might do well. Generally, might not be too mad at me if I go another ten minutes or so. But verse twenty one, and I love how Paul transitions here. He says, "And you." who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So he transitions and he says, all right, now you, you've, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about flesh for a minute. We're going to talk about, we're going to talk about you for a minute because before, without Christ, you were, you were terrible. Uh, you were outside, but now you're brought inside. And, and through that physical suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus, now, now you can be brought in. Now, I think, I think this is a response to, to possibly some Gnosticism that was going on that's saying that was challenging the thought that Christ was actually a physical human being. So, verse 22, it says, He is now reconciled in his body of flesh. So, Paul, Paul's trying to put away that doubt that Christ was some spirit being. You know, he's saying he was flesh like us. He did all this for you to bring you inside. Now, the word holy here, this, this really means, as, we, as it does in, in most other cases, it really means to be set apart. So we see that in verse 22. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by the death in order, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So we're set apart. 
because of what Christ did, we now have the opportunity to be holy. We have the opportunity to be set apart from those evil deeds, hostile minds, the things that, that, were, that we were doing before Christ. We have that opportunity now. And the great thing about this is there, there's nothing that we can do to claim responsibility for that. Paul doesn't give the person here credit for saying, you know, hey, I'm responsible for this. Now, he says this is all about Christ because in his body of flesh, by his death, he is now able to present you as holy and blameless and above reproach. So there's nothing we can do. And I think there, there's, this is maybe in a little bit of a, uh, maybe a little bit of a, a slap in the face of some Jewish traditions, some things that people thought the law was there, and so we check boxes, we follow this set of, of laws or rules to the letter, and now we're, we're going to claim righteousness, holiness. I think Paul is, is, is saying in response to that, no, that's, there's nothing that you can do to deserve that. There's no tradition you can follow. There's no, nothing that you can do to make you holy. You're holy because of, of this. You're holy because of Christ, and, that, and, that's, and that's all. And now verse 23, it says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So now we have this crossroads. We have this decision, this choice of, of free will. And I think this is, this is the choice that I would guess everybody in this room has had to face at some point in time. We've all, had a, we've all been at a crossroad, and we'll probably be at a crossroad or several crossroads in the future. But we have this choice that if we continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. So this is that, that opportunity that we have to be a part of this kingdom, be a part of what, what's, what the Apostle Paul is, is saying Christ put in place for us. You know, this continuing in the faith, this is that trust in living out the gospel message. This isn't just a something we do. This is actually living this out. And that's what he's saying here, that you have to continue in the faith. You have to be stable and steadfast and, don't sh and not shifting from, from the gospel that you heard. So there's, there's no wavering there. You know, this goes back, I think, again, a little bit to the, to the refusing to observe the rules and the traditions of the day, you know, of, of the false teachings, of, of putting other gods on a, on a level with Christ, following some of the Old Testament traditions and laws and things like that. This is, this is that crossroads that, that the Apostle Paul said they were at, and he says, if you do this, now you have opportunity to be a part of this, part of this kingdom. And what, I, re, I read this and I'm gonna, I'm gonna borrow it. I can't claim it's my own. I'm not nearly creative enough to, to come up with something like this, but I, I read this phrase this week studying for this. It says, faith in Christ is simply not a way of entering the kingdom. It's a way of life within the kingdom. So it's something you do, it's something you are. 
So when you're at this crossroads, we know what to do because of, uh, of it, it's, it's within us. We live and breathe it. We experience it every day. And I think that's a, that's a great, way to, great way to put it. So we're going we're gonna to stop here. I, I don't want to, I can't go much further in, into this with, for the sake of time. But I really think that, again, the applicability of this letter to us today is just, it, it's especially chapter one, I think, is, is just so rich. And that we have to make sure that we have this foundation, the pillars of our faith that, that, are, that are there. But we can't lose sight of, of what Christ did for us and the avenue that he opened up for us through, through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. I think that's just such, a, such a, a beautiful story. And the Apostle Paul tells it better than anybody else could ever tell it. And for us to, to study it, I think, is, is such a good thing. Uh, let's, let's go ahead and, and close with a word of prayer.